0: hello hello everybody welcome back to another week of DQ with Damani this is your host the one and only Le Tigre Damani M-A-D-I-R and yes everyone was expecting it just like I said, Connor Ben was going to return triumphantly. There is absolutely no reason why heads were doubting it. But of course, people were saying, "Ah, oh, the steroids, this, the steroids, that. What about the clomithine? Maybe the club? Nope, 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 nope. I said exactly what was going to happen. He's going to return. He's going to showcase his power. And everyone who was once hitting on him now be on his side and that's pretty much what the public's reaction is reflecting there are a lot of people saying now i apologize for doubting connor ben the whole steroid situation is kind of questionable but i do feel like i messed up big time by counting this kid out he fought a guy who had a lot of years on his clock even though he's still in his 20s still fought a tough mexican still fought a guy who many people thought was going to give him a test. Otherwise, there were people saying, ah, oh, he's a journeyman, he's got three losses. So you can win some and you can lose some with the boxing public. But generally speaking, I believe that Conor Ben did a great job. The first section, of course, is going to be dedicated to him and his victory. But we still do have great things to cover, like the ridiculous situation surrounding Richardson Hitchens and his victory over Jose Severa. One thing that I really like about Connor Ben, and I've liked pretty much throughout his entire career, is how adamant he is about moving his head. Of course, we have figures such as Joe Joyce from the UK who don't really like to move their head, but Connor Ben is all over the place. He takes his head off the center line very well. Just about every single step, he's either moving to the left or to the right with his waist and his head, and it really seems like he, his father, and his entire camp have been practicing that extensively. I really like that. It was very evident when Orozco was throwing his jab and his left hook that he was unable to touch Conor Ben. He was able to touch him to the body a lot, but the headshots really weren't landing because, one, Conor Ben was smothering his punches, and two, he was constantly taking his head off the center line. It's almost as if his coaches didn't have to tell him. He just did it on his own, and he maintained form throughout the entire fight. He did get a little bit tired around 9, 10, but from rounds one to eight, he seemed very, very high energy, slipping, rolling off of all of the opposition that was being thrown his way. And I really like that from him. I feel like a lot of people don't really count head movement in offensive and defensive movement until it really starts to work in their favor like Canelo. Everybody praises Canelo for his head movement, but there's no love for Connor Ben. Let's start analyzing this man's work because he does a great job. As for Orozco, he stepped in this fight at five Maybe six rounds too late, he started to turn up the heat a little bit later, which is kind of ironic because he did really wear himself out. I like the fact that he continued to move forward. He's a very tough individual. I don't see a lot of people giving him credit For his enduring spirit, everybody's talking about the fact that he's Mexican, the fact that he's lost three times, but no one is talking about how tough this guy is. He's 27 years old. And regardless of the fact that he lost this fight, I believe that his stock goes up because he showed tremendous toughness against someone such as Conor Ben. It could have easily gone the other way. Easily became a knockout for him, but he tested his chin. He went out there on his shield and he said, You know what? I'm going to show you guys what I'm made of. I might have gotten rocked in the third round badly, but I'm still going to keep moving forward. I'm still going to try my best and give the crowd a show. I really like that from him. Circling back to Ben and analyzing Ben's work in this fight, I would have to say that his inside work was exceptional against someone who has a big height advantage. I believed. There was at least anywhere between five to six inches deficit for Ben because I'm not sure whether he's five eight, five nine, or five seven. But I do know for a fact that Orozco is anywhere between five eleven and six foot two. That boy looked big in there. He most most definitely. There is no argument about the fact that there was a size disadvantage, especially when they measured up guard to guard. It was very obvious that. Ben was the smaller man and this is important this is an extremely important factor in this fight no one is giving Conor Ben credit for the fact that he moved up in weight I don't think a lot of people realize that this fight wasn't at 147 this fight was at 154 this was a super welterweight fight meaning that this was his first time fighting at a bigger weight class he fought a guy who could most definitely be weighing on the night of the fight in the 170s. Let's let's not sugarcoat it. We know that there's weight bullies up and down every single weight class. You have guys who are way too big for the class, most definitely should not be fighting there, fighting in 135, fighting in 140, 147, 154, even 160. You have guys killing themselves to make weight. I am not saying that Rodolfo Orozco is that guy. But it was very clear that he was the larger man in that ring. I really liked the way that both men composed themselves despite the fact that there was a size disadvantage between the two of them because there have been a lot of situations where the bigger man wants to smother the smaller man, smaller man wants to smother the bigger man, but they stood in the center of the ring, traded shots, moved back and forth around the perimeter. There was a lot of movement between the two of them and they didn't stay on the outside. There was work from just about every single position, from the mid to the center to the outside, like I said already, to the perimeter. There was definitely a lot of movement from both men, and I can appreciate that greatly. Footwork is very important. Precision is also very important, but people forget about the movement, the movement, the movement. At the end of the fight, our boy, Conor Ben he ended up taking it through unanimous decision. Win? but the judges, they gave Orozco very few rounds. Two judges gave him one round. One judge gave him four rounds, which I was very surprised at, for a total of 96, 94, 99, 91, which is fair, and the final one being ninety-nine, ninety-one. Now, whether or not he won more than one round will have to be up to you. You will have to watch that fight if you haven't already and watch it back again if you already have, like I did myself. I personally disagree with the fact that this guy took four rounds off of Conor Ben, Regardless of the fact that Conor Ben ended up winning the, the fight overall, overall, I still do not think that he won more than three. At the very least, two rounds. One round... uh, Maybe you can make a case for giving him one round. But I would say anywhere between one to three rounds. Four rounds is a little excessive. So in my mind, I'm starting to question the judges yet again. And on this same night, we had crazy scoring. Jessica McCaskill taking a draw against Sandy Ryan. That huh. Wow. That was very surprising. I was disappointed, but surprised at the same time because I'm I'm so confused as to how these judges can sit here, watch these rounds go by, say, okay, well, he took the round or she took the round. Oh, yeah, this guy definitely won that round when it's very obvious that they didn't. It's strange that this keeps happening, but let's talk about it. Jessica McCaskill, like I've said plenty of times, is one of my favorite female champions out right now. I talk about Clarissa Shields a lot. I always talk about Fran Sean Cruz. Always talk about Michaela Mayer, whether it's negative or positive, Alicia Baumgartner, the list goes on and on. But Jessica McCaskill is one of my personal favorites for what she's been doing for the sport, socially been trying to bring more eyes, more money into the sport, especially for women's boxing in particular. And aside from that, she does a lot for her community. She's given back to her high school plenty of times, given back to Plenty of people who are making their way up the rankings, even people who aren't even ranked yet. She's supported. She's done a lot of things for the sport inside, outside of the ring, done a lot for her community inside and outside of the ring. And I appreciate that a lot. What I don't appreciate is the fact that she got robbed. People are going to come out and say that draws are not a bad thing in the sport. But I think that it is, especially when it comes to world title unification this was not a regular fight so when i hear people saying oh the draw is okay the draw is fine i have to remind them that in a world championship fight especially a fight that involves two plus belts and there is a unification at stake that that does not need to happen the commissions are pissed i know the commissions are pissed right now because they poured all of this money into the event Thinking, okay, we're going to have a new champion or a set of new champions regardless. We're going to get a whole lot of sanctioning fees. We're about to make a whole lot of our money back. But no, they lost out. They went in the red this time. Because not only was there a draw, the belts are not exchanging hands. The belts are staying on each side of the street. This is an atrocity. And I cannot stress that enough. Because you have one person who's been waiting for months to get an opportunity another person who just went through a crazy situation in which she almost lost her contract so now they spend all this money and all this time preparing for this event come to the event duke it out and then have the judges screw both of them over arguably in my opinion jessica mccaskill being screwed over for what And now, like I just said on last week's episode, the unification between herself and Natasha Jonas is going to take even longer. After I said, oh man, Sandy Ryan, she's going to run through her, take care of business there, pick up that belt, undispute with Natasha Jonas. Nope. All that's out the window now. We have to wait even longer because now there's talks of a rematch. People aren't sure whether or not it's going to be on matchroom again. It's just very, very, very tiring dealing with a situation like this, all because the judges couldn't be competent enough to score it fairly. While that frustrating topic has been on my mind for a while, we do have to talk about the Joe Joyce knockout. Oh, man. Oh, man. I know you people were excited to hear me talk about that. Everybody's like, oh, well, you were right. You were right. You were telling us the truth. That man, Joe Joyce, does not take his head off the center line. And I'm happy to tell you all, yes, I was right. I don't think there has been a time on this show where I've said something specifically about a fighter and their characteristics, and I've been wrong. It's very rare that that's happened. Before the show, I can say that there have been a couple of times where I've said that. For example, when I was young, I talked about Floyd and Andre, and I thought Andre was going to take it. I thought Andre was going to be the one to break the curse. But of course, everybody said, you know what? Andre's too old. Andre's too old to do it. He's a great fighter. We respect him. We love him, but he's too old. And I was wrong. Andre lost. But talking specifically about what these fighters train and what they don't train, what they lack and what they are good at, I'm very, very on target with that. And This is absolutely no different. Joe Joyce and his trainers do not train head movement. It's very clear that they don't train head movement. And if they do train head movement, this is a problem because he's getting into the ring and he's forgetting. I need to take my head off the center line. I need to slip this guy's punches. I need to move away from his power hand and not into the direct line of fire. Everyone knows that zeng can throw he tore his eye up the last fight and i said okay let's give him the benefit of the doubt let's not throw away joe joyce yet just because he lost yes he lost yes he lost in embarrassing fashion do i think that he deserves to be tossed away by his entire fan base everyone in the uk as a whole tossed away by all of the people who care heavily about the heavyweight division no absolutely not this is not a guy who deserves to be just picked up and thrown into the trash." He deserves respect and he still does deserve admiration, but he has massive issues that need to be fixed. You can be critical of someone without destroying their entire character and people really seem to forget that. I am not on that type of timing. I'm going to come on here and I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm going to keep it 100 at all times, but I'm not going to come in here and start slandering Joe Joyce just because he's lost once again. Now, the issue in the first fight is the same issue in the second. Take your head off the center line. His coaches need to lock in. It's time that they lock in because this is two interim world championship fights at heavyweight. He's not going to get another opportunity like that on his plate for the foreseeable future. It's going to be at least a year and a half, I'd say, comfortably, before he can get another opportunity like this. He's going to need to build his resume back up to reach the level that he just hit. In these two fights, because this is the biggest, you're not going to get a Tyson Fury fight. We all know that. You're not going to get a Tyson Fury fight if your name is Joe Joyce. You might not even get a Tyson Fury fight if your name is Ylei Zhang. But you will get interims, you will get regionals, you might even get another shot at the European. Heavyweight is way too slow for guys to be coming up and making these day one mistakes. Joe Joyce, regardless of how you want to slice it, dice it, etc. He is a great fighter. Does he lack certain things? Absolutely. Will he learn from this? Absolutely. There is no way that he's going to take this loss, getting knocked out cold in one shot in the third round and not learn from this. And if he doesn't, then I don't know. I might just need to take back all the great things that I've said about him. But I think that he's going to recover. I think that he's going to find his footing once again, double back, reanalyze his entire career, and take a comfortable step forward. I know for a fact that he is. He's a tough individual, and all of them, regardless of where you come from, follow the same walk of life. All of them. All of these guys are tough. All of these guys walk in knowing I might just get knocked out or I might just take the biggest win of my life here. That is the life that you have to lead. And Joe Joyce is no different. He's cut from the same cloth as all of these guys. So I, I hate to see all of the Joe Joyce slander. I really hate to see it. People saying, oh, man, he was, he was never top 10. This guy's garbage. Oh, man, he, he didn't do anything significant in the division. When he did, he, ga- he gave us some good fights. He gave us some good moments. And he's very funny. Still got to go back to the drawing board. Still got to get back in the lab and start moving his head, though. This has to be taken care of now. Just a little bit of an update on the Frank Martin situation. We are hearing now that people are pretty pissed in Frank's camp. Al Heyman, Derek James, all those folks. Pretty frustrated with Frank turning the fight down. Obviously, this is really disappointing for people who are major fans of the 135 division. We were robbed. But we still do have the Edwin versus Shakur fight to look forward to. Other than that, Frank and his team, they're saying, oh, well, we're not ducking. We just wanted more money. Al Heyman and them, Derek James and them, furious with Frank for turning the bread down because they want those belts. They want those belts on that side of the street. What's so difficult about that? I'll tell you what has been difficult, the fact that we just now are getting news that Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk have signed a contract to fight. Finally, the fight has been signed. It has been so many weeks where I've come on here and I've said, guys, Tyson Fury's bogus. Don't support Tyson Fury. Support Alexander Usyk. If you don't support Alexander Usyk, find somebody else to support because Tyson Fury's not the guy. He's not that guy. He's not him. He does not have him activity. But now, off all of the negative reception, off all of it, they finally double back and sign the fight, which one lets all of the people around the world know that Tyson Fury is not taking Francis Ngannou seriously. He's not taking him seriously. This fight that's happening in Saudi Arabia is... Just to keep himself and to keep people who are really interested in crossover fights satisfied. Other than that, there is no real competitive aspect to it that's indicative of him taking him like him him serious. There's there's no way that Tyson Fury could sign this fight. Say, oh yes, this is going to be a great challenge, this MMA guy, this, that, and the third, and then turn around and sign that fight. If he was taking him seriously, he wouldn't he would have waited. He would have waited until the fight was over. He was cleared to box again. And then taken the undisputed fight. But he's saying, you know what? I know that I'm not gonna walk out of here hurt. There's nothing ridiculous that's gonna happen during the fight that's gonna warrant me sitting out for a little while. So I'm just gonna sign for this fight. Whatever happens, happens. And obviously a lot of people are happy about that, but the implications sent by taking that course of action is very very troubling for some. Now that we got the big Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk news out of the window, it is fight week. Finally, Canelo Alvarez, Jermell Charlo, the biggest fight of the year so far. So far, Keywords so far because we did have Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence go to war for the undisputed 147-pound championship. That fight was amazing. That fight was definitely fight of the year, and definitely the biggest fight of the year prior to this. Because I think, and I know this is gonna be a hot take. I know people are gonna be a little heated by this one, but it is my personal belief that this has the potential to be both fight of the year, one, and two, do crazy pay-per-view numbers. And people are very confused as to what I mean by that. Well, are you talking about domestic pay-per-views or are you talking about international pay-per-views? I think that internationally this performs well. I don't think that internationally this is going to do under three. This has to do 300,000 plus. There's absolutely no way on earth that Ganello does under three hundred thousand with this guy, especially because we know that Charlo could fill seats and Charlo could sell pay-per-views as well. There is no way that this does under three hundred thousand internationally. Domestically, I know we're going to be at least touching a mil. I'd say a mil, a mil eyes on the screen. And as far as pay-per-view buys goes, I'd say anywhere between three fifty to five. I'd say half a million, half a mil, because Triple G numbers were great. The last uh, Triple G fight numbers were great as compared to other performances that we've seen from the same promotion. But now with PBC, Charlo with PBC, there is definitely more opportunity for the performance to be better. Financial compensation to be better. Pay-per-view numbers overall to be better. It's definitely possible, and I think it is. Now, for everybody's favorite part, professional picks. There are a lot of great professional fighters who have come out and started to talk about this fight. I do want you guys to hear what they have to say as well. Up first, we got Tarver's take. Everybody knows I love Antonio Tarver. Always had great things to say about Tarver. Shout out to my boy Tarver. Shout out to Tarver, man. Love what he's doing with his son out there. In the South making some great moves down there. Keep up the great work, y'all. Tarvis Take, here we go. I have to fight the perfect, a box of perfect fight. Is he capable of that? He's capable of it. You feel me? As long as he don't get too thirsty for that knockout. Just take your time and let it come. Now speaking of knockouts, Jamel knocks him out. Where does that put him on the pound-for-pound list, in your opinion? Shit, he takes over the power for pound list with a knockout knock over a Canelo. Over profit I think he can do that within six. If he don't get it done within the first six, man, it ain't happening. So Tarver's pretty much saying the exact same things that I've said. It's the outboxing that'll be the factor. Outboxing is going to be a major factor in this fight against Canelo Alvarez. Now, we've got David Benavidez, the Mexican monster, up next with his own interesting outlook on the fight. Go ahead and roll that one. I think, to be honest with you, I think the skill set is both paired up. I just think Canelo weighs a little bit too much, er, more used to that weight class used to the punches um, i don't doubt charlo you know landing uh, some big punches on canelo because these are great fighters can take nothing away from him but i feel like the advantage just goes to canelo he's just he's heavier he's more comfortable and, yeah but it's gonna be a great fight either. now david Benavides, he's always been very great with his analysis he's usually very spot on like i am myself and i'm very much looking forward to what happens next Because they are both under the same stable. There's absolutely no reason why Canelo can't fight Benavidez. Of course, we do have Bubu versus Benavidez first. We have to take care of that. But the landscape of the division is slowly shifting in Benavidez's favor. I really want to see that fight against Canelo. It needs to happen either next year or at the tail end of this year. I believe the Bubu, I'm not entirely sure whether or not the Bubu fight is November? I'm I'm not entirely sure. But if if it is November, the earliest we'll see a Benavidez fight against Canelo would have to be probably spring or summer of next year. Overall, I'm very excited for this fight. I am having a fight party. Yes, this is the first fight party of the year and probably going to be the biggest fight party of this year because after this, it's going to get more and more low key. We're going to be cooking out, making sure that everybody's fed. Obviously, Bev's will be provided. We cannot have you set up with a plate with no Bev. we got to have the beverages on deck. we got to get some Sprite in there and not no McDonald's Sprite. I'm not talking about spicy Sprite. I'm talking about some regular Sprite. If it was Christmas season, I'd say want a Sprite cranberry, but uh, <laughs> we're getting into the early stages of the fall right now. Either way, like I already said three times over, probably a million times over by now on this show, this fight is going to be massive, and I am very, very happy that I was able to talk about it with you guys this week and all of the weeks prior, because I believe that everyone should participate in boxing in some shape or form, whether you're just training or observing one of these massive fights that are going to reshape history for All of us, but the generations ahead of us. People are going to be talking about Canelo for generations. People are going to be talking about Jermell Charlo for generations. And them fighting, it creates a narrative that I believe makes the sport even stronger and brings people closer together and rekindles that spirit that the black and the mexican community had in the old days i believe that we are returning to the golden age of boxing through fights like this and i hope to see many more and i hope to continue producing great episodes like this for all of you all right everybody that just about closes our week of dq with domani please once again please make sure whether you're at the carne asada or you're just outside with your friends listening to it on the radio Make sure that you have some way to watch this fight. Make sure that you have a way to get this fight on your television screen. Make sure that you have a way to get this fight on your radio. Make sure you have a way to see this fight, hear this fight. It doesn't matter how you get it done. Get it done. Make sure you are paying attention when Canelo Alvarez and Jermel Charlo step in the ring and do battle. Please continue to support these two great men and support the men on the undercard. Gordonis Ugas, Mario Barrios. We have so many different fighters on this undercard that I cannot stress it enough. I don't know how many more times I gotta say it. You guys gotta be locked in on this fight. And if you're not locked in for Arrasas, you gotta be locked in for Carmel Moten. Seventeen-year-old prospect, lost, unfortunately, in the nationals. Every year prior, national champion, national champion, national champion. So he's a decorated amateur. We may have a Lomachenko situation on our hands on this undercard. Kermel Moten, baby. He is the new hype. He is the new money team. He is the new tank. Everybody's hopes and dreams are being put on this boy. So I hope that he lives up to the expectations that have been set on him. That is what makes this sport exciting. Stories like this. So if you are not watching 17-year-old Kermel Moten make his professional debut on PBC Showtime, Saturday, I, oh man, I, 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 I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. You're sleeping. Gotta get that money up, not that funny up. If you are planning on drinking, getting a little rowdy under the influence of anything, please make sure that you are not behind the wheel. Ensure that you have a good circle of friends around you because this fight is going to bring the crazy out of everybody. Please take care of yourselves, and thank you very much for choosing this podcast for your weekly source of boxing lifestyle, combat sports news, and analysis. I am your host, D-A-M-A-N-I. Yes. And I'm very, very happy to be in Fight Week. Danilo Alvarez, Jermell Charlo. Let's go. Take care of yourselves, and God bless.